Hello, I'm Bo Huang, CFA, and welcome to the CFA UK in Conversation podcast. This is the show for investment professionals, all about issues, interests, and insights in today's profession. In this episode, we'll be talking to Caroline Kai, Managing Principal and Portfolio Manager at Pazina, one of the leading value managers globally, asking about her views on how to manage value portfolios during the COVID-19 period. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you, Caroline. And um, yourself, you have been uh, with Pozina since 2004. And actually, you have been dedicating your long investment career in value investing through several cycles. Can you give us a quick overview about what kind of value strategy you are trying to implement in? And uh, because there are so many value approaches. Yeah, that's a great question. So, so to us at Pazina, value investing, very simply put, just means buying a good business for less than it's worth. Now, who wouldn't? I think every investor says that. So in our experience, we generally think that you, you really get to do that when something negative has impacted the business. That's obvious to everyone. But the resolution of that negative and uncertainty is not clear yet to everyone. So we're looking for opportunities where the problem is temporary rather than permanent and where we can see a path to recovery. So if things don't get better, it's already reflected in the valuation. But if, if we're right and things do improve the earnings power recover, then there's substantial upside. So it's really the asymmetry between the upside, upside and downside risk. Um, that's really deeply rooted, we think, in human psychology and the behavior um, that underlies value investing for us. Yeah. So what I hear is actually the value investing, you know, by nature is a very contrarian job. And sometimes you can feel quite lonely and because you're going against the herd. And, you know, uh, as we all know that in the last decade, it seems that the only game in town has been growth. And the growth actually as a style has a, such a, a favorable tailwind, how hard it is to keep the unvarying discipline in value investing and where uh, to find the value stocks. Yeah, so, so it certainly at times can feel very exhausting given to your point how long the last cycle has been. Um, even though the magnitude of the, uh, of the headwing um, has precedence in history, but the duration certainly doesn't. Um, so, so I think there are, there are really many things, but on the other hand, it's, it's not that difficult because uh, all of us really believe in why value works in the first place. Um, you know, it has stood the test of time because it's rooted in human nature and, and that doesn't really change over time. Um, so, so we don't think value as a factor. Um, and when you think of value as a philosophy, um, it's really not that hard to see why it should work. And then having a team approach where everyone is really in it together and, uh, and a culture that emphasizes collaboration, communication, and mutual respect. So, you know, it's, it's not easy being a value investor, actually, to your point, even during the best of times let alone in sort of the biggest anti-value run in history. So having a team who really believes in the same thing is very helpful in that process. Um, and then our firm being independent and owner managed means that there's really nothing to interfere with our commitment to deliver 
great returns for our clients in the only way we know how, classic value investing. Um, so all of these things that I think, you know, sort of contribute to our team's focus and, uh, and the commitment. Yeah, I can imagine that. And as you mentioned, uh, the ownership mindset, you know, you require to have this ownership mindset that really refer to the long investment horizon um, for mm-hmm. the value to, uh, especially the hidden value to get unlocked. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And now the question is, uh, you know, um, maybe we can talk about some examples of uh, of the challenges that you faced during the COVID-19 period, especially, you know, uh, we know in February, March, when some of the typical value sectors, uh, such as financials and oil and gas got hammered very sharply. Uh, so what uh, what you have been doing to determine whether, you know, some of those stocks should uh, be kept in the portfolio or all um, should be sold? Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a really good point. So periods of extreme volatility, such as what you witnessed in February, March, um, of course, the priority for us is to, first of all, check if anything permanent has, has changed, if anything has changed for our businesses on a permanent basis. Um, and, and that would undermine our original investment thesis. So we've, we had a lot of contact um, with the companies in our portfolio. Um, and that contact is actually easier during COVID-19 because no one is traveling, going anywhere. Um, so you can get pretty much everyone um, on the phone or on Zoom. And, and the goal of those conversations is to make sure, one, any behavioral change on the part of customers or suppliers will not permanently change how we think the business should work over the long run. And two, the company has the operational and financial balance sheet resilience to really get through a very extended period of negative development. So if the world is in lockdown, how long can you survive in the lockdown scenario with the the operational resilience and uh, and the, the liquidity on the balance sheet? If the answer to both questions is not much has changed, yes, this will be a difficult period where you'll make you'll be less profitable. Um, But over the long run, the business can restore its earnings power and you don't question the survivability to the other end. And often because we're buying leaders in the respective industries, uh, we actually see them gaining market share during industry downturns. Mm -hmm. That's what we see with our oil service companies. That's what we see with some of our materials, industrial and financials holdings. Um, So, so those are the analysis that you go through, and the answer, if the answer is no, nothing has changed, if anything, this may strengthen their longer-term uh, competitive position, then you would take advantage of the decline in price um, to essentially buy more of the, of the businesses at a materially lower valuation than just a month ago. Um, yeah. There are a couple of names across the range of our holdings that we did exit because we thought the balance sheet, the liquidity profile wasn't strong enough or the business might have some question mark around the long-term survivability. Okay. Uh, you mentioned a lot of uh, materials, oil and gas companies, but how about financials? You know, yeah, there is so much uh, intangible business uh, to analyze about financials. And given, you know, central banks have been uh, putting more and more uh, monetary supports um, mm-hmm. in, in the fin- financial system, so it looks like there is more pressure to to get a net interest margin. Um, um, uh, so on, on that on that note, you know, what kind of uh, 
a tangible criteria when you look at the financial company and to determine in this sector, you know, what is the winner rather than loser? Yeah, sure. Um, if your business is only taking in deposits um, and trying to make a spread on those deposits, absolutely, it's very difficult to make money when interest rates are at zero or negative. But that's not what a bank does exclusively. Um, so there are lots of activities within the bank that continues to be profitable, um, even in a low rate environment. The key question is, is the market industry is the industry structure in the particular markets you operate in um, supportive enough for for pricing, um, for gaining wallet share with customers, um, and do you have the operational flexibility to again adjust your cost structure to a different run rate of revenues? So from that standpoint, you really don't analyze financials any differently versus how you would analyze um, other industries. And, uh, and, and there's, by the way, there's a really very wide variety of business models within the, the catch-all phrase of financials, some of which don't rely on interest rates at all for how they make money. It doesn't mean you buy everything financials. It really means you buy things where at a zero low rate environment, these companies have a viable business model because um, mm -hmm. they can't adjust. And, uh, and then you don't forget, you get a free optionality um, if interest rates do rise from here, what are the additional earnings power that the business is capable of generating? Again, it's when things aren't going your way, Yeah, the negative is already priced in. And what are the upside optionalities that the market isn't looking at? And, and is that asymmetry sufficiently attractive? Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned this earlier. This is about the asymmetry uh, payoff. Actually, you're looking at in the, in the, in the value Correct. strategy. Yeah. Okay, um, I guess uh, for our CFA charter holder um, and the whole CFA UK community here, um, you know, many graduates or young uh, professionals, uh, they are still um, facing sometimes the dilemma of choosing whether they should join a growth shop or our value firm. And as we mentioned earlier, that uh, there is so much, you know, frustration, maybe sometimes frustration or uncertainty or maybe require, you know, a patience in the value investing and sometimes can feel very lonely. So what kind of advice you can give to, uh, you know, the young professionals and even a, a younger version of yourself and, um, you know, what have been keeping you so motivated? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I sort of felt like I, I became a value investor. Um, by accident, because I didn't know <laughs> there was gross value, there was even a buy side as a career option, but it was the perfect fit for me because of who I am, my my normal mindset as I you know go through life, how I think about risk, how I think about different choices. So, so growth and value are really very different ways of investing and they require a different mindset. Um, it's not easy going against the hurt especially when the herd has been right for so long. Yeah. So, so for us, you know, we take a lot of care when we recruit people to find people with the right mindset and that are going to fit in with our approach and a culture, really believe in the philosophy and the process that we have. So this, this should really be the most important consideration for anyone listening to this that's trying to decide where they want to start their investment career. Um, it has to be something that first of all, makes sense to you yes. as an investment philosophy. Yes. And then the process itself 
by which you implement also makes sense to you. Um, and, you know, I mentioned some of the things that we believe have made us successful as a value manager and unwavering in our commitment to investing that way. But one of the things that really keep us motivated today after such a long anti-value period is just the tremendous number of attractive investment opportunities out there. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the next 10 years looks great uh, for, we think, looks great for, for value investors, given the starting point. Um, and uh, and if, you, if you look at a business that's not doing well and, and you see opportunities for improvement, and you really get comfortable with the asymmetry in that risk reward trade-off, then I would say you have the making mm-hmm. of, uh, of a potential value investor. And this is certainly the best time to get into value investing because um, there aren't that many people looking to get into a value shop, right? Yes. <laughs> Just to be fair, yes. um, I joined, um, I got into buy side on value towards the end of 1998 somewhat similar to to the current environment. Yeah, so um, quite contrarian so, for you actually to join the value shop when everything is um, so expensive and the valuation is at a high level, right? Yep, yeah, absolutely. So uh, so it's just interesting to me, um, you know, the, the similarity today versus what we saw back then. Um, and, and I didn't have any investing background back then. Um, so I got in, I think partially because not a lot of people were looking for um, a value place to go to. They all wanted to go to San Francisco and join a venture fund and yeah. uh, and get involved with some uh, startups. Yeah. Um, so something to think about. Very interesting. So it looks like you need the right mindset. You need the discipline, clarity, and also this, you know, a courage to going against the herd. Um, Absolutely. And uh, lastly, like you said, we all hope, you know, this shift of value period will come soon. We have been betting and discussing about it so many years and the reversion to mean will eventually happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you never know what, when and why. It's only clear with the benefit of hindsight. The why is always clear. Valuation eventually does matter. Because uh, you are buying businesses for their future cash flow earnings power, it can't be divorced from uh, from what's going on in the fundamentals forever. It can in the short period of time, um, but but at the same time, you know, the Nasdaq peaked on March Friday, I believe, March the tenth, two thousand. And if you ask me, March eleventh, I think, tenth. If you ask me, what was different on March the thirteenth, Monday? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing. There was nothing that happened over the weekend that would have told you this was the beginning of the turn in the cycle. Um, So so I think the when is very difficult. The if I, you know, we're strong believer in validation eventually does matter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for your time and uh, for your advice and and insights uh, with us. And uh, it's great to have you, Caroline, with us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Mm -hmm.